This is Barry Zalma, Zalma on Insurance. I'm an attorney who has retired from the practice of law and now spend my time as an insurance claims consultant and expert witness and author and producer of these videos. Today it's time to talk about Volume 25, Issue Number 7 of Zalma's Insurance Fraud Letter, issued on April 1, 2021, although it is not in any way an April Fool's joke. The issue starts with an arson-for-profit conviction that was affirmed in Pennsylvania's appellate courts. John M. Sekarak appealed from the January 16, 2020 judgment of sentence entered in the Court of Common Pleas of Burke County, the trial court, following his jury convictions for two counts of arson, recklessly endangering another person, and insurance fraud. In Commonwealth of Pennsylvania v. Sekarak, a 2020 deci 2021 decision a 2021 decision of the superior court of pennsylvania it considered the convicted arsonist's claims of error only to find that he was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt the facts and procedural history of the case were undisputed briefly the appellant was charged in connection with an August 8, 2018 residential fire. The case proceeded to a multi-day jury trial, following which the appellant was found guilty. On January 16, 2020, the trial court sentenced him to an aggregate term of five to ten years imprisonment, followed by two years of state probation. The court also directed him to pay $85,808.79 in restitution. Even if the court considered appellant's sufficiency claim regarding the charges and insurance fraud as being predicated upon his claim that he did not intentionally or recklessly set the fire, being the only basis upon which appellant presented a sufficiency challenge, the claim still would be without merit because the Commonwealth proved beyond a reasonable doubt that Zechariah committed arson. Any doubts regarding a defendant's guilt may be resolved by the fact finder, that's the trial judge or jury, unless the evidence is so weak and inconclusive that as a matter of law, no probability of fact may be drawn from the combined circumstances. The Commonwealth may sustain its burden of proving every element of the crime beyond a reasonable doubt by means of wholly circumstantial evidence. Moreover, in applying the above test, the entire record must be evaluated and all evidence actually received must be considered. Finally, the finder of fact, while passing upon the credibility of witnesses and the weight of the evidence produced, is free to believe all, part, or none of the evidence. Mrs. Sekarak testified that her husband was enraged, but that she had seen him like that before. She stated he started to say he was tired of living, 
and he grabbed a gas can and held it over his head and started pouring it onto himself. Mrs. Sekarak testified that it was not a whole can of gas, but a substantial amount of gasoline that he poured onto himself. Mrs. Sekarak testified that he told her a second time to take the cats and get the F out of here. Mrs. Sekarak stated she then grabbed some clothing and went to the car to leave. She testified she was not worried for her safety, but was worried about Joe's safety. Right before she left, she saw Sekarak carry two propane tanks down to the house, and that is when she decided to drive away from the property. Mrs. Sekarak then drove to a nearby gas station and called the police. Trooper Herb, as an expert, identified an area in the living room as one of the places of origin. Trooper Herb stated that he had found two propane tanks in the house, one in the basement and one in the living room. Albert Latazny, Jr., an expert in the field of trace evidence with respect to fire debris, also testified during trial. Mr. Latanzi testified that he analyzed nine items for accelerants and found gasoline on three of the nine. The appellate court found that based on the testimony of Mrs. Sekarak, Trooper Herb, and Albert Latanzi, the jury had sufficient evidence to establish that Sekarak was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. The jury had evidence to satisfy every element of arson. Viewing the evidence in a light most favorable to the Commonwealth, the appellate court agreed with the trial court's conclusion that the Commonwealth proved beyond a reasonable doubt that appellant committed arson. Whereas here the sentencing court had the benefit of a pre-sentence investigation report, the sentencing court was aware of relevant inf information regarding the defendant's character and weighed those considerations along with mitigating statutory factors. In sum, Sekarak's appeal failed. In the opinion of Zalma's insurance fraud, Letter, arson is the most dangerous and vicious form of insurance fraud. In this case, in fact, a firefighter was injured. People die in arson-for-profit schemes, and I hope his has a really unhappy and miserable time as he stays in the Gray Bar Hotel for at least five years. The issue also covers a seven and a half to 15 year sentence for fraud issued by the Supreme Court of New York County. And that case where the false estimate by a consultant that was adopted by the insured and presented in a lawsuit as evidence of her true loss when the insured knew or should have known. She actually knew because she testified that part of 
the evidence presented to the insurance company in support of her claim was false and fraudulent. Even though her case was lost, she appealed, claiming that the Although the estimate contained false statements, the false statements were not material in the homeowner. It tended to use those false statements for reasons other than fraud. The Florida Appellate Court noted that based on the homeowner's sworn interrogatory answers and deposition testimony, the insurer was correct in amending its answer to include the affirmative defense based on the policy's concealment or fraud provision, which provision stated that the insurer will not provide coverage for an otherwise covered loss if, whether before or after the loss, one or more insureds have intentionally concealed or misrepresented any material fact or circumstance engaged in fraudulent conduct, or made material false statements relating to the insurance. Based on that clause, the insurer moved for summary judgment. The Florida court, in reaching its decision to affirm the trial court's decision, stated that at no point prior to the hearing did the homeowner seek to revise the estimate that she already admitted contained claims for damage to a kitchen that was not damaged, otherwise submit a new estimate. At the hearing on the motion for summary judgment, the homeowner's attorney made the following concessions. One, the homeowner has never said that she does not agree with the sworn proof of loss. Two, the homeowner adopted the estimate, and three, the estimate should not have included $11,000 for damage to the kitchen, and that it would therefore be appropriate for the trial court to grant partial summary judgment or alternatively stake 11, strike $11,000 for the total damages claimed by the homeowner. At the conclusion of the hearing, the trial court found that the uncontroverted summary judgment evidence established the estimate contained material false statements. The court also concluded that the false statements were attributable to the homeowner because she adopted the estimate as her own in both her sworn interrogatory answers and in deposition testimony, and because the, the consultant called Contender was acting as her agent. It is well established that a party is bound by his or her admissions under oath, be it by deposition or interrogatory. The homeowner adopted the estimate as her own statement, as the estimate undisputedly included at least $11,000 in repairs unrelated to the leak. Homeowner made material false statements relating to the claim. When an insured relies on or adopts an estimate containing material false statements to support his or her claim, the insured is bound by the estimate and cannot avoid application of the concealment or fraud provision simply because he or she did not prepare the estimate. In the opinion of Zalma's insurance fraud letter, 
a loss consultant or public insurance adjuster usually takes an assignment of the funds the insured is to collect from the insurer due to the claim presentation. Sometimes they are tempted to overvalue to increase their income. Regardless, when the claim is presented, it is presented by the insured. And if the loss consultant, as Contender did in this case, knew that the presentation by Contender was false and so testified at deposition, in so doing, she admitted that she adopted the fraudulent claim prepared by the consultant and attempted to defraud her insurer. Although she may have had a legitimate claim, which is doubtful, the fraud defeated her attempt to obtain money from her insurer. And it was amazing for her lawyer to say, well, we just committed a small fraud, the $11,000. Take that off and give us the rest of our honest part of our claim. Insurance fraud once committed, no matter how small, voids coverage. One cannot commit just a little bit of fraud and get the legitimate part of a claim any more then a person can just be a little bit dead. The newsletter then goes on to report on good news from the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud about convictions for insurance fraud, reports of convictions for health insurance fraud, reports of insurance fraud being the bane of the insurance industry, and how it is to be interpreted, explaining the difference between hard and soft fraud, reports of other than health insurance fraud convictions, a description of hard fraud, explaining the difference between hard fraud and soft fraud, which they're both fraud and you lose in both ways, is did the uh, lady who accepted the fraud of her consultant. In addition, the newsletter explains about Zelma on insurance videos, the Zelma on insurance blog and its blog postings for the last two weeks, and uh, has a brief biography of me, Barry Zelma. If you found this video to be of use, please refer it to your colleagues. It's free, and please also refer them to the link to Zalma's insurance fraud letter so they can read the entire fraud letter, not the summary that we've provided in this video. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel, my Rumble channel, and my blog so that you can learn about future videos and future blog postings. Thank you for your attention.